Are we on Yelp? No, not Yelp, but we should be. Drew, okay. can you make that happen, please? Uh-huh. <laughs> or Yelp. Um, okay. Can we redo the outro? No, that was good. <laughs> I like that you outro. You added. That was I good like content. You, I like you added. You Thank you. Script. Oh. I just, I you just don't, I don't like, I don't like how you said it. Was, <laughs> that offended smart. me. I would like to get into yeah. take of that. No um, promises I can do it the same. Say it every time. This has to be the exact same, but, so I can splice in and out. Sure. Um, so let's do that real quick. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, or criticisms, please uh, send those to Christopher at crazypastors.org. And as, if you would, at the very end of this <laughs> Make sure that's Christopher, not Ronnie, at Crazy Pastors. Let me try it one more time. One more time. Please. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Crazy Pastors. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any topics you'd like us to discuss, questions, comments, concerns, complaints, or criticisms, please send those to crazypastors at christophercast.org. Nope, Last not time. even close. Not <laughs> even close. ChristopherCast.org? You just made up a whole... You, no, you can go to my website oh. and hire me. You got your own? Oh. Yes. I'm going there right now. This episode, I really want to talk about why is it so difficult? And so let me start us off with this... I've got a series of questions to ask you, all centered around why is it so difficult? First thing I want to talk about is your golf game. You define why? It, did this, any of this point? So. <laughs> why is it? Oh. Yeah, it right now oh, is your golf abroad. game. abroad, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've developed something that I can't seem to get rid of. Well, if you guys don't know. Well, playing golf. If you've not seen Ronnie play golf, uh, let me paint a picture for you. <laughs> hey, I'm not Charles Barkley anymore. Uh, well, no, but you were. I were. I was. You, you were. <laughs> I be. You be. <laughs> I... I remember you taking me to some cattle track in oh. Temple. I thought, oh. when hey, Christopher, come down to Temple. Let's go play golf. I assume we're playing Wildflower yeah, or no. playing a country club. And you take me to some horrible Muni in Muni. Temple. Yeah, I mean, when you have to duck when other people are hitting <laughs> you know, tee shots, when you're on the tee somewhere else, yeah. that is not good architecture. That and the airplane coming over your head. That's, that was interesting. Really close. But I have, I have to say, your golf game was pretty rough that day. Yeah. <laughs> Very Charles Barkley-esque. I blocked it out. But the good thing is, you have gotten so much better, but it's really? still really tough. Yeah. <laughs> We've played recently, so I know. Yeah. You okay. S- you know what you speak. So if you like to play golf, then you know that- But I haven't that, given up. I still have hope. <laughs> that's right. And, and we all have hope. I'm going to retire. Hope in Christ and hope in eternity. Playing Are they going to- Is golf going to be in heaven? Yes, it will be. I, I mean, just won't be allowed to play. <laughs> well, I, I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to have. I don't a, know. I'll let you know. You're not going to have a membership <laughs> to the club. Do yeah. you remember your message when you talked? When you, I think you had an entire sermon message on our our, our dogs going to heaven. Do you yes. remember that? Well, yes, I did mention that in a sermon. I don't think that was the whole sermon. <laughs> but it was. But what was it your, was a title? What was your crawfish out of that question? I, I don't really remember. Something about yes. Oh yeah, that that <laughs> animals. God breathed and formed animals. They have the breath of life in them. Not the same as humans, but... So there's a chance that animals go to heaven. There will be animals in heaven. 
just don't know if this is the ones we have here. Maybe a unicorn. Well, <laughs> I hope the, the pit bull that bit you is there. Uh, that's my prayer. <laughs> All right. So on a more serious note, why does it have to be so difficult? What I really want to spend a little time talking about, leading a staff at a church is really difficult. It is. Yes. Right? It's difficult for us. One of the things is I've talked with pastors about our podcast that I've heard back. I've heard two comments repeatedly. One is, I'm offended. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Stop doing it. Why are you calling us crazy? Yeah. Right? And then there's the other group that says, yeah, we all are a little bit crazy. So they get it. Yeah. But just to be clear, it's called crazy pastors because Ronnie and I are a little bit crazy. Okay. Right? So we're not calling all of you pastors out there crazy, although you really are, but we're really focusing in on ourselves. When you use the word crazy, it's not not clinical, right? No. uh, Okay. Just nutty. A little strange, weird. Yeah, but it's the people that make us that way, right? (laughs) Sometimes, but I really think that the job is very, very unique in our world, and the weight and the pressure of being a pastor in a local church ministry, given the amount of aggressive resistance to the church today in our society makes it even more difficult than it's ever been. So when we talk about leading staff and being a pastor to church being difficult, part of that is our own experience. It's just the truth. Right. It's very difficult. So, Ronnie, why is this thing so difficult? Well, I mean, it's an interesting statement because, you know, we we hear a lot about burnout with COVID. The great resignation. Great resignation. But, you know, you hear that about every industry. You do. Every industry suffers. It's interesting why that's so seemingly new on the horizon now of pastors doing that, which shouldn't have been so surprising, I wouldn't think, that if we don't learn these skills of how to manage and take care and deal with conflict. For me, getting kind of down to the brass tacks of it, our faith position is that every single one of us is flawed. Right, Every single one of us in our inmost being has sin. If I was the only person on the planet and no other person existed, I would still would be selfish. I would look after my own self-interest. I would want what I want when I want it. And so every single one of us is battling that all the time. Even as pastors, we battle that. Yeah. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said, if you ever find the perfect place, don't go there because you'll just mess it up. (laughs) Because, you know, we're all flawed. There's no... Perfect person, no perfect place. But the simplicity of that one concept, I hope as a Christian, is something we can all wrap our minds around and agree to. Yeah. That we have all fallen short and we all must have faith in our Christ in order to be restored in relationship with God. Yeah. Which means we have hurts, habits, hangups, and junk that we have to deal with. Right. What I think is fascinating, though, is that whether it is the sin of pride, some of us refuse to talk about it. And to be able to just openly share, hey, I struggle. You know, we have a lot that we're trying to push on. Our community is being overrun by a huge city, and our population is exploding. We have more people with more desires and expectations of what church should be than ever before, and that creates a lot of tension. And somehow along the way, as failed and frail humans, we have to rely upon God to provide leadership amidst all of this chaos. And that's a key reminder. You know, I just— I remember my wife, Robin, used to be a physician coach, and she worked with doctors on teaching them how to have good bedside manner. And oftentimes, a doctor would say to her out of frustration, why don't they just do what I tell them to do? I'm the doctor. Right. And I just I equate that with being a pastor of preaching messages and devotionals and Bible studies and like, why don't people just do what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, we're talking about this. It's from the Bible. 
And I think that comes out of a tendency to take ownership for that. It is my job to convince you to live a holy, righteous life. That's not my job. Okay. My job is to share the message of what that is and what that looks like, what the Bible says. But it is that reliance on God and the Holy Spirit to convict a person uh, and lead them to repentance. Okay, so now you just brought up a fascinating issue. I thought so. That I think plagues the Baptist church. Yeah. All right, and and we talked about this on Monday in our second favorite day of the week. And while we were there talking— uh, sorry, it was Ronnie. Sunday being the first. Ronnie chokes on the drink of water he just took. <laughs> Smart water. <laughs> One of our new sponsors. <laughs> Smart water. <laughs> yes. They, my wife told told me that people get might get angry at us when we talk about oh. jokingly sponsors for the podcast. We do have to be careful. Let me rephrase that. Mart water. <laughs> yes. One of the things that we as Baptists struggle with more perhaps than other denominations is almost a sense of self-righteousness that it's our Mm. responsibility to force people to accept the gospel and that if we are not aggressively, almost militantly sharing the gospel with people and convincing them how wrong they are and how right we are, (laughs) that we're not doing what we're supposed to do in evangelism. And of course, what I would argue is I I don't remember Jesus quite doing that. Isn't that the Great Commission, though? To share the gospel. And make them uh, obey. No, 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 no. Oh, teach them to obey. Okay. (laughs) But seriously, isn't that... Look, I come from a multi-denominational background, growing up in the military church, so I didn't get the Baptist denomination until I was at Baylor. That was my first experience on what a Baptist was. Matter of fact, my grandfather was a Methodist minister, and when he found out I was going to Baylor, he actually pulled me to the side and asked, hey, aren't you concerned about going to hell? Because I was going to (laughs) a Baptist Baptist. school, right? So this denominational war that's taken place forever is ludicrous to me, but Baptists in particular, I think, are more prevalent, the largest denomination in our country still, and are more prominently known as the Bible beaters (laughs) than anybody else. Yeah. And my image that comes to my mind is you beating someone up with a Bible, yeah, forcing them, shoving it down their throat until they, you know, you waterboard them until they accept the gospel. Yeah. Well, and I think that came out of, you know, there was a, an error. I look back in the 70s and 80s of training, evangelism training and with different resources to do that. And so there was almost like, that's the win. If that person doesn't pray, you haven't won. Hmm. I may get in trouble on this because I am oh, a... I am fully a Southern Baptist, yet at the same time, I feel a deep conviction based on where our world is, that if we treat evangelism like warfare, we will lose, (laughs) right? Because one of the biggest issues we face and something that we are wrestling with right now, matter of fact, it's a book that we have made mandatory reading for all of our staff, which is Jim Dennison's new book, The Coming Tsunami. Yes, it's a go. It's an absolute go. We think just as much as we felt Canoeing the Mountains by Bullsinger was a must-read, Yes, we also feel that this is a must-read. Now, do I agree with every position and attitude that Dr. Dennison takes in his book? Of course not. No, right? But it is important information for us to understand, especially in the world of evangelism, because there is, as has never before existed in our society, individual morality and relativism. And people that genuinely do not believe, and this is not a rare concept, this is yeah. this is commonplace yeah. among American citizens that no one has the right to say something is right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. And when you're 
you're coming at the gospel as a militant, they are never going to hear you. They are right. never going to listen to you. And you now become the oppressor. Yeah. And that's, you know, the whole idea, we call it postmodernism, right? But this concept has been around probably from the beginning of time of the battle if truth is absolute or not. Are there absolute truths or is truth all relative? And so you can talk about it on down the road in history. And so now this resurgence, but how do we respond to that? Because when you take away absolute truth, then you open up a door just to deny things because you can. Right. You know, disregarding truth or evidence, just keep sticking to your story. And that's a hard argument to oppose or to reveal what is the truth. It's such a weird irony, right? Because we know in our faith, we're not supposed to live through I feel statements. Yeah. Right. I feel like we should do this. I feel like God <laughs> would want me to do this. Yeah. I mean, that is just a dangerous way to live your life. Yet we also can't ignore that side of it. Right. Because and if we only live in the intellectual, then we are going to miss practical application in the ability to Acts seventeen seventeen Paul reasoning with people. Yeah. So it's it's this. I want to be known as the guy that shares the gospel in love and compassion, yeah. and shares it based on how I view the world and what God has taught to me. Well, and you remember Paul. Part of his argument was what happened to him. How he was converted because of Christ, and that to me is the key. Our story has power. People can't deny the experience. They can try to explain it away, but the experience that you and I have had with Christ, the conversion, that's our story. And that, right. that has power because they're sharing their story. But I think there's an acceptance of that still today of, okay, I want to hear your story. And that's where we trust the truth to really speak clearly and at least challenge people in their beliefs. But again, you can get into those arguments and debates, and I'm all for apologetics. I love apologetics, love sure. studying it. But if we get into that debate, who's right, who's wrong, I think we lose the battle at the beginning yeah. rather than let's build a relationship and let you see who I am because right. of Christ. We go back to Rosario Butterfield and her book, yeah. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Great example. And so you have this pastor that invites a strong, aggressive feminist who is also LGBTQ plus to come into his home. I just don't see him sitting down and saying, okay, let me explain to you the Roman road <laughs> and let's talk about the doctrine of angels. But rather through relationship and through personal testimony, I'm sure developed a relationship and then won that person over. I, I think the world needs so much more of that today than it ever has needed. And we have to be more sensitive to that, especially as Baptists, yeah. that when we over-politicize issues— it's almost as difficult as when we over-spiritualize issues. Yeah. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Study God's word and apply it in your life and be willing to share why you do and don't do things based upon God's word, but not based upon what some denomination is saying, this is the position you take, like boycotting this or boycotting that. or <laughs> You know, it just yeah, seems exactly. strange to me. And, but I think it is important to be aware. What are the issues? What are people wrestling with, struggling with? And it does have to come out of compassion. And I think that's the difference that, that I will take okay. time to build a relationship with someone, not just because I believe, let's say, same-sex marriage, because I believe that's wrong. I do. Right. But I also believe that Jesus died for that couple right? as much as he died for me. And I believe that they are have bought into a lie that is causing pain and damage in their life. Right. Um, and so out of that compassion, that will motivate me to hey, I want to get to know this person as a person, not as a statistic you right. know, or a number or a label, and to get to know that person. And in turn, 
they get to know me. And that's how we build that trust. Now, that's a pretty heady issue, pretty you yeah. know robust issue on why is it so difficult. That's for pastors in general and the position of pastor and dealing with a society that we've never experienced this. We've, in Christendom, for 1,800 years, we had tremendous favor with governments and with societies. Yeah. And now, post-Christendom, post-modern, yeah. right, now we are the outsiders. Yes. We are, as a lot of literature says today, we are the oppressors, which is right. horrifying to yeah. think, right? So we have to change our tactics. Yeah. The same way, this will step on some toes, the same way that churches must change methodologies mm. if they're going to reach the lost in a modern environment. Yeah, no doubt. Right? So let me throw out another topic. That's one of the things that's really tough. That's one of the reasons why being a pastor is so difficult. But you let's a, just talk. You have an easier one? Uh, no. No, there <laughs> oh, are no easy ones. Oh, great. Okay. I think also just the organizational leadership of leading a staff is very difficult. Can I be honest and Please. share? And I don't want to back up the truck because our own staff is going to listen to these podcasts. Yeah. I uh, think. Maybe. Is that true? It's mandatory. <laughs> maybe. It's a one. We yeah. ask for 100% participation. Yeah. We no, ask. I, I, I bet, oh, I, I don't want to rat out our own staff, but I don't, I don't yeah. think everyone listens to these things. Sure. Uh, but I don't want to unload the truck here. But what I do want to say that this is a difficult job. We have 75 total employees. We have 42 full-time equivalents. And I mean, we are not the biggest church around and we are a small church for the Metroplex, but that's still a pretty reasonably sized church. Yeah. It's complex enough. I like it. And in the midst of that, I would just confess that there are times when I look at what we're doing here and all, even among our own staff, all the competing forces and personalities and gifts and talents too, Yeah, it's hard to get everyone headed in the right direction, especially when there's interpersonal conflict that is simply going to happen. Yes. So can you speak to that at all or any thoughts? It's inevitable. And I think that's part of that. We have to understand that going in. Right, so a new staff member comes on. There should be the understanding, hey, at some point there's going to be conflict. There's mm -hmm. a honeymoon period. We all get that and enjoy that. But there's going to be a point you're going to upset someone, someone's going to upset you. That's not a deal breaker. That's to be expected. Actually, it's opportunity uh, for growth and strengthening our relationship rather than tearing it down or handled incorrectly can be divisive. And it's just like let's just relax. And just like in your own family, even when you're your own marriage or with your kids, you're not always going to agree. There's going to be conflict. You don't stop being a family. You know, you don't just, that's not the, the deal breaker. That's to be expected. But it has to be resolved at some point because I think yeah. what most churches do, in my experience working with churches, the most often used way to resolve the conflict mm. is to allow time to heal all wounds, <laughs> right? We're going to ignore it. We're going to sleep Such it, sweep it under the rug. Yeah. We're right. just going to let it go. Yeah. As if, and I think we even said this in a previous podcast, peace yeah. is not the absence of conflict. Yeah, right. Peace is the resolution of conflict. So can you just, right. words of wisdom on how we try to do that <laughs> as a staff, what do we encourage our own staff to do? You have conflict between two people. What? How do we handle that? Yeah, we try to create a culture where people can talk openly and honestly with one another. Critical conversations, critical statements have to be made. And again, Matthew 18 is kind of our biblical model on that. If you've been offended, you're, you're the offended one. Jesus said it is your responsibility to go and tell the person how you were offended rather than waiting for that person to recognize what they've done and come to you and apologize. 
So it all comes down to forgiveness and, and not harboring bitterness and those kind of things. But not everyone's really good at that. You know, I think that is something that has to be learned. So even in approaching, doing the right thing and approaching someone, there also needs to be a right way in which you say it. You know, yes. it's like, okay, it's not here to you defend. You may be so mad because you did this. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about I feel statements or I felt when you did this or said that. Sometimes it's just a total misinterpretation of what was intended. Right. That's why we strongly encourage not to do this in text or emails. You right. can't read emotion and read true, you know, a true perspective from that. So going one-to-one, person-to-person, in love, and the de- desire to resolve the conflict, sit down and just hash it out. These things happen all the time. All the time. They happen even between you and I. Now, yeah. you and I have known each other 20-plus years now. Been a while. And we've worked together full-time for the last five years, yep. almost five and a half. And we work very hard to play our roles, which are clearly defined and distinct and different from each other. Yes. Even in the midst of that, and we spend a lot of time together, I think we genuinely love and care for each other. But there are times when we make each other mad. Right. Right? Most of the times, it's me making you mad. And and we even had a recent one, right, where (laughs) uh, I did. I recognized that I had said something that caused a certain look on your face. And so after that meeting, I came back to you, and I apologized. Yes. Because that's the last thing in the world I want to do. I remember you. One time, we have a rule for each other that we will never step in front of each other without (laughs) each other knowing. Yeah. Right? And one time, you made a decision to do something that was I had no clue was happening, and that caused me a problem. Yes. Right? And so I came to you, and I, you're my boss. That's dangerous to go to your boss <laughs> and say, hey, man, you broke our agreement. Yeah. It hurt me and caused me stress and frustration, and I just need you to know that. Yeah. Most employer, employee, boss, and subordinate relationships are never going to have those conversations. Right. And that's why 95% of everyone who leaves a job is because of their direct boss. Yes. So when are you going to forgive me? I have. Oh, okay. I have, 100%. But I sure love telling that story. <laughs> you got a little more detail on your side than my side. <laughs> yeah, I just said some little comment. Said. It was no I'll big tell you deal. What he said. <laughs> no, but the, these things, these are hard. And we've been doing this now for five and a half years. We have a value statement here yeah. that is enter the danger. Right. It's, a, it's just simply an application of Matthew 18. Right. If you have a fence, you have to talk about it. And what we've experienced through the years is that even though we teach on it, even though we talk about it, when it comes time to actually have those meetings, mm. more times than not, people fail yeah. in having those conversations. Yeah. Passive approach to conflict is dangerous. And, I, you know, it's a statement I encourage in, in our different marriage classes of when your spouse offends you, just give them the benefit of the doubt. You know that they love and trust you. Right. And, and this was not ill intended. It was intended to be mean, even though it felt that way. And I think that's a, oh, what I said to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no, I just, well, that would be a specific example, but just in general, it was going to mean as a yeah. staff building that trust, hanging out, re- building relationships. So when one staff member offends me, I'm like, okay, I know they didn't intend to do that. That was not their heart. So I can go and we can talk about that with the resolution. Right. And that comes out of that trust and like, let's just, let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're not mean people. We right. do stupid things. But even in that, let's go and, and talk it out. Is a practical help to those that are listening, I, we've been dealing with this for a long time, and our staff has gotten much, much, much better at doing this, but it has come through practice, yeah. right? The only yeah. way to get better at anything is to practice. And I would suggest that if you don't have a staff counselor on, <laughs> on staff, uh, on your, on your team, right? 
No, yeah. you don't necessarily have to hire one, but have that mentality, right? So that I, I yeah. think I'm, and maybe this, check check my thinking here. I'm naive enough to think that if two people are having a challenge with each other and they're going to have one of these conversations and they don't have any experience doing it, it yeah. might be good to yeah. bring in someone who has a lot of experience and have three people sit down and talk. That's, yes. Just to moderate the conversation. In certain to cases, call foul when it, it takes place. Yeah. And Give say, a- hey, did you really mean to say what you just said? That seemed to come across poorly. Yeah. Can you rephrase that in a different way, please? Give them a black and white striped shirt, a whistle, and a yellow flag. So anyway, it's just an encouragement to pastors out there serving on staffs. Teach your people how to do this. Yes. Model it for them yes. and be involved in the conflict resolution process early, 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 early. Don't let things linger. Yeah. I learned that serving under a pastor that taught me that lesson very early. Don't sweep stuff under the rug. You go and take care of it right away. Well, and we have another value statement we're adding this summer to our staff. They'll make about 10 altogether, these value statements that we have. And it's going to be crocodile skin. Mm. That a crocodile has the hardest hide of any animal on the planet Earth. Wow. And that we as staff members in highly complex and chaotic environments have got to have thick skin. And if we're going to walk around with thin skin and get hurt and offended at everything that happens around us, this is not the right place for you. But we can still shed big tears, right? Because crocodile tears. Crocodile tears, yes. We can still do that. <laughs> hey, there's there's one one last portion of why is this so difficult I want to touch on. Wow. And that is, I think that it is more difficult to directionally lead a church than it ever has been before. I think coming out of COVID, COVID was such a surreal experience for so many pastors that I think today, probably more than I've been around pastors in the past, there's a general sense of, I don't know what to do. Mm. I don't know where to, what to do next. I don't know what department of my church has priority. I've had vision in the past. I don't have a clue what to do now. Yeah. Right? I think so. I mean, and, and you know, there, I can't remember the, the Old Testament story where basically they said that to God. We don't know what to do now. And that's an honest and I think a freeing statement. But also I think maybe this idea of vision where do we go now? Right. That's definitely a part of vision, but also a part of vision is where are we right now? Okay. What's the reality of what we're going through? Where are the, the faults? Where are the, the wins? And and dealing with that sometimes is more important than trying to figure out what's coming next. And yeah. in, in studying that, it helps you define what should come next. For our corporate listeners out there, Ram Sharan and Larry Bossidy wrote an incredible book called Execution. And in it, they say yeah. job number one mm-hmm. of any leader is to define reality. Yes. If you cannot define reality, you have no business trying to create future. But I do want to provide some practical helps. If you are a pastor out there that feels a little lost right now and you don't know what you should do next, there's several things you can do. One of them is to go hire some consultants. There are some incredible consultants out there. Oxano is a fantastic consulting group. Vanderblumen has a consulting arm. I mean, there's tons of them out there. There And most denominations have their own internal consulting arm. Right. Then as a former consultant, I would say that wouldn't be my first choice. <laughs> wow. I know that's crazy, that is right? Crazy. Because I think you have to be a church of a certain size to be able to afford a good consultant. Yeah. And two, you already have to be spinning at a certain rate, yeah. a certain speed in order to be able to do the things that a consultant will suggest to you. Yeah. Right? So there's some, I would say the vast majority of churches are not spinning ready for a consultant. You're probably to come right. In, yeah. Okay? But there is hope. 
the and this is free. It doesn't cost anything, but it's one of the things that I I rarely see pastors doing this anywhere. Yeah. Have a networking group. Yes. Call and get a group of pastors together that you respect that are similarly sized or larger than you and go to lunch. Yeah. Sit down and meet with them regularly and ask the question, what are you doing? Right. Is some of the best vision is borrowed. Yeah. Right. So the best <laughs> ideas are not plagiarized yet, stolen to a degree. Yeah. Right. So, and that's for free, but especially the senior pastor role mm. is such an isolating yeah. island. It is. Why is it, Ronnie, that pastors struggle so much with reaching out to another pastor or two or three or five and getting together and just talking about? I, I'm not talking about hey, how's the family? I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. I'm just talking X's and O's. What are you guys doing in church? How can I learn from that? What are some of your best practices? What's the best thing you did last year? Yeah. Why was it so successful? Yeah. Maybe there's something I can learn from that. Yeah. Where do you think the church is headed in the next five years? I mean, those are invigorating conversations that honestly, if I didn't have those as a regular part of my life, yeah. I would be a horrible executive pastor. I insecurity and competition. Those are the two main issues I see why pastors don't reach out to other pastors. If I'm struggling, I don't want to hear how great your church is. You know, I want you to commiserate with me. And there's probably more of that available than than I think there's a lot more of that. Yeah, especially if you're in the same area, because your people are the same. I mean, you may have different memberships, but they're all dealing in the same situations in the same area. So that kind of helps you understand where people are and maybe what is God's vision for your church, because I think it fits in His vision for the community. And so one pastor can see may help you see. Right. Also, what God is trying to do. And it's just, you just got to let that go of quit trying to worry and compare yourself. Comparison is deadly. It's a thief of joy. It is a thief of joy. And so stop doing it because who knows what that pastor's gone through or is going to go through. But no one understands pastors like other pastors. Amen. No one understands XPs like other XPs. Well, we don't even understand each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or pastors. <laughs> so, but, but that builds a camaraderie, you know. And I'm so glad you said that if you can't hire a consultant, that there are consultants in your community available through other pastors and networking. So that's I think so. so. And, and also, don't be afraid to reach outside your denomination. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are some churches out there, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, that are doing some pretty remarkable things. Yeah. Non-denominations, for sure. Yeah. There may even be charismatic churches out there that mm. we have something to learn from. I guarantee that there are Pentecostal charismatic churches that are doing things that we as Baptists need to learn from. Sure. Right? And vice versa. So, hey, thank you for the time on the conversation yeah, today, Ronnie. Uh, uh, the, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, I have too. It's so good to spend some time talking with you. And thank you, Drew, for just being here to record it. Yeah, that, That's awesome. I think he's listening to other music. Hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening in. If you would, take a few minutes and give us a like, a review, or a comment to whatever listening platform that you're listening in. And as always, if you have a question, comments, concern, complaint, or criticism that you would like to share with us, please send that to Christopher at crazypastors.org. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time.